Hail Oxal. On and off over the years, I have experimented with the production of liquors, beer, mead, wine, infusions in distilled spirits, and often of a distinctly antiquarian flavor. Ingredients were sometimes offbeat, usually out of some anarchic sense of curiosity. I even boast that I moonlighted as a bootlegger for a while in my 20s, after my mead-making skills became somewhat renowned in the local scene. There was some precedence for this in my family. My father, in his youth, was apparently quite renowned a moonshiner, according to himself at least, but did not actually pass much of his know-how down to me, and never made me his apprentice. I picked up this hobby accidentally, tumbling backwards into it when I was about 17 years of age, and hid it well from my parents. This is how I encountered one of the most awful things that I've ever drunk, let alone produced. I am talking, of course, about the abhorrent beverage that the Finns call Kilju, and it tastes just about how it sounds to English speakers. To put it short, Kilju is a sort of non-distilled moonshine, that is, fermented sugar water, a sort of sugar wine produced from a high-yielding industrial-grade distiller's yeast that produces a lot of alcohol and a lot of off-flavors and nasty aromas. Just consider this. If the turnaround for fermentation can be completed in a couple of days instead of the usual couple of weeks, you know that this might be something quite gnarly. But of course, this is the sort of stuff that you usually wouldn't drink. You would uh, put it in a moonshine still and filter out all the gunk in the end. However, in Fenno-Scandinavian counterculture, with an emphasis on the Fenno part, this beverage that I later learned was called Kilju enjoys widespread popularity with... Uh, Youngsters who do not have access to moonshine apparatuses or simply don't have the patience or know-how to use one. I didn't actually know what Kilju was to begin with, and I certainly had no plans to make it, let alone something as advanced as flavored Kilju. But you know how crabs have evolved independently many times over throughout history? You could see this as some kind of odd Fenno-Scandinavian parallel cultural evolution. After all, the home distillation of alcohol, moonshine, presupposes that you have an already fermented and usually heavily alcoholic base to work from, we're talking wine strength and above. And it doesn't really take a rocket scientist to realize that even the non-distilled liquor can get you messed up. And that's really the only excuse a kid needs. So leading up to this, a friend had challenged me to make a wine out of some bizarre and unexpected ingredient. I decided to make cauliflower wine, as I was fond of cauliflower soup and had a very weak grasp of what yeast does to a saccharine beverage nor did I have any awareness about different yeast strains. So the lady at the homebrew store assumed that I was moonshining and sold me some kind of yeast packet with a poison snake on the label that promised to get the job done within 72 hours. And that sounded fair enough to me. To my ears, this meant that I could set it to ferment on Tuesday and drink it by Saturday. Next, I bought as much sugar as I could carry, and then using cauliflower and soup mix, I made a sort of cauliflower syrup that I uh, transferred over to a um, plastic fermenter, which uh, exploded at some point, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different saga. Did you ever pass by an industrial bakery and um, felt that yeasty smell? I would say that the, the smell was something between that and bleach. Anyway, we were small-town punks with a bigger taste for adventure than we had sense or money, so I did my best to work my way for the 17 liters that were left after the aforementioned accident, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise, really. But uh, soon, both me and my friends had to give up. Well, most of us, anyway. I had this one older friend who was like one personal tragedy away from drinking cologne, and he gladly took a sizable canister to work on over the next few weeks. 
The next time I saw him, however, he said he would kick my ass if I ever offered that pig's will to him ever again, but he did apparently uh, drink all of it. The stuff tasted so rank that the body seemed to actively resist it. We had to dilute it with sugar water or sprites just to make it stay down. And that's the saga of the cauliflower kilio, which set the precedence for many years of fermentation experiments. At some point, I was even something like the personal winemaker of the thrash metal band Def Hammer, who would sometimes have a gallon or two of my onion wine sitting in the backstage area or hidden in the alley behind the venue. We did drink quite a lot of moonshine in my formative years, but Kiliu was a passing experience that I'm glad to have tried, even if it was accidental, but also hope to never experience again. However, to some youngsters, Kiliu stands as a cultural symbol, its consumption nothing short of a countercultural statement, an identity marker. I often say that one aspect of Scandifuturism is the enjoyment and ritualization of mundane and often awkward cultural quirks, immersion in one's cultural context as a sort of timeless communion, as something outside of the past-present timeline, of ritual time and mythic time. Now on to the subject at hand. It may not be apparent in this world of nation-states, but all of the Nordic area is full of different ethno-linguistic groups and national minorities that are all Aboriginal to Fenno-Scandinavia but have at different times moved about or settled across borders that may or may not have existed in their current form uh, until recently. And as a result, there's always been some degrees of acculturation between these different ethno-linguistic groups, um, which can be at times a complicated topic. Take, for instance, the Scandinavianization of the Sami. But there are countless more benign and uh, subtle examples of this acculturation across different regions, between different peoples at different times, linguistic and cultural exchanges going back thousands of years. As I've covered previously on the podcast, the monumentality of identity, say, the idea of Norwegian-ness, is a lot more complex than it would first appear. And the same goes for the entire Nordic or Fenno-Scandinavian cultural sphere. It's nuanced, fragmented, complex, organic. As I said, a feedback loop going back thousands of years, spawning a rich network of uh, Fenno-Scandinavian mutant identities and regionally distinct microcultures. Mutants and monsters on the Fenno-Scandinavian theme, for better or worse. Up until recent times, many people living in the border areas between Norway and Sweden, for example, might not have any real awareness of whether they were Swedish or Norwegian at all until they were told that they were one or the other by some governing body. Some people in these areas, say the Forest Finns, were ethno-linguistically neither of the two. There are mutual loans and developments back and forth between Finnic and Germanic languages, and then later, of course, between these and various traveler groups. This muddles the notion of a clear national identity. Fact of the matter is that we are all somewhat tied together like the tales of a rat king. All hail the Fenno-Scandinavian rat king. Today I have with me Matthias Björkos of the Austro-Bothnian band Vasas Flugaug Fauna. Matthias is a Finland Swede and with his special brand of Austro-Bothnian kitchen sink realism, uh, which is often as tender and wistful as it is witty, I found that, that he touches upon many themes that are common with what I often talk about here on the podcast and other endeavors. Today we discuss our appreciation of the banal and quotidian, and those distinct little quirks that ties one to their context. So without further ado, my name is Erik Sturzen, and you're listening to the Brute Norse Podcast, where we walk backwards into the future. And today we're talking about the Scandinavian concept industrial complex.
Matthias Birkos, welcome to the podcast. Your band, Vasas Florag Fauna, is a pop group conceptually founded in and around the town of Vasa in Ostrobothnia in Western Finland, singing in your local Ostrobothnian dialect of Swedish, which I found tremendously interesting. Uh, and for the record, I think that maybe some listeners might find this an odd topic for Brut Norse, since most of the time I talk about more ancient things. But this is not always the case, as many listeners will, of course, know. So, Matthias, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So, um, okay. So, as I already mentioned, uh, or as I maybe implied, you're a Finland Swede. And you come from a part of Finland uh, with a Swedish-speaking majority. Is is that correct? Or Well, basically... Uh, there are uh, Swedish 
speaking uh, people in um, largely largely around the the, the western coast uh, uh, in Ostrobotnia and also uh, further to the south uh, in the Helsinki area and around uh, Turku. Uh, but um, the the main cities themselves are often sort of a uh, the big uh, they, uh, there are uh, in those cities uh, the majority speaks uh, uh, Finnish, uh, but uh, in the surrounding areas, in the uh, smaller towns and, and villages, uh, in Ostrobotnia, for example, uh, they, they, there are examples of of, of, uh, of, of those where, where uh, the majority, or sometimes even. I mean, for for example, on the Åland Islands, uh, there are almost exclusively Swedish speaking uh, uh, Swedish speakers. So, so uh, and that the, uh, around from where I come from, uh, there are also lots of uh, smaller villages that uh, where where people mostly speak Swedish. Yeah, maybe this is obvious to some of the listeners, but probably not to everybody. I know I have a lot of Americans who might not be aware. Of this, but you know this idea that uh, you know in in Scandinavia or Fenno Scandinavia or whatever we call it, you know we w- people are very hung up on kind of this kind of nation state idea that you know of course there's Norwegians, Swedes, Danes, and Finns, uh, but maybe it's not like intuitive that there are speakers of di- several of these languages in our respective countries too that live as kind of these these national minorities or or these kind of uh, linguistic or ethnic minor- minorities. <laughs> I don't know how, how to like ask this question in like a way that doesn't, you know, uh, seem completely naive. Of course, but what what does it mean to be a, like a, a Finland Swede uh, in Finland? Yeah, well, um, I think the, the the concept of nation states in European context or, or in 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 a Nordic context is so. Uh, tightly linked with modernity itself uh, that that it's almost sort of um it becomes um uh, it, it, i mean even i mean i i live in in sweden and it's hard for people to since, since they are sort of uh products of, of this uh, uh this um modern nation state state they 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 find it hard to sort of grasp the idea that 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 there uh, there are uh, places where we can have a sort of um, uh, where you can have bilingualism and uh, and where where, uh, where where language isn't uh, necessarily what defines a, a state uh, and in Finland, of course, um, that concept is is also very uh, strong, uh, strongly represented. We have uh, politicians who who still today feel that, or even, maybe even more so today, that feel that uh, in Finland you speak Finnish and uh, the rest is sort of a uh, sort of. A, I mean, uh, the, the the rest should be considered as. Um, uh, some sort of a very, uh, I don't know. Uh, that if in Finnish you, you speak Finnish, and 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 um, then there are minorities, but they are not uh, should not be on sort of equal 
um, level as as uh, as uh, uh, or, or their languages shouldn't be uh, on equal level or uh, as, as as Finnish. Whereas um, I think it's one only has to know a bit of of, of uh, the history of of Finland to to sort of recognize that that, that um, the the sort of historical roots to to, uh, to the nation state or to the state is um, is not in fact sort of uh, just one people and one language. It's much more complicated than that. And, and um, so I, I guess um, um, I guess it varies. Uh, I, what it means to be a Swedish speaker, but, but for example, if you li- live in the Helsinki area, uh, Swedish is is a language that um, you mostly speak at home. You you can't really hear it uh, if you're uh, out. Uh, if you go, you can't re- really hear it in the city, and it's not really sort of a language that even. I mean, even uh, Finland Swedes. Don't necessarily speak Swedish if they are out and about. It's uh, it has become like that. It maybe wasn't the case uh, a few decades ago, but but it's, it's um, more and more like that in 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 the sort of Helsinki area. Whereas if you come from Ostrobotnia, I think there is a more sort of a working bilingualism where. Um, um, you are expected to to have a sort of basic knowledge of both languages and you yeah so um to me it kind of sounds then like this kind of hegemonic idea that a country has one language you know uh, and that the, you know always follows the uh, majority does it make you feel a bit like an outsider in in finland as a whole or like it puts you know puts uh <laughs> Put Ostrobothnia in sort of like a liminal zone, or is this like just kind of a? Yeah, well, again, it, it I think it varies because um, 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 traditionally Finland Swedes ha- have had quite strong sort of institutions and institutional s- support because they they were, uh, the, the, I mean. For example, the administrative language of, of, of Finland was, uh, f- uh, even in uh, during Russian times, uh, until it, uh, um, until so- somewhere I, I can't remember the, the exact year, but 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 it was uh, it was Swedish for quite a quite some time, and um, and uh, there was this administrative class uh, of Swedes, uh, uh, and. Um, uh, but 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 for th- that was maybe ma- mostly um, true for for the sort of uh, southern area, whereas uh, along the coasts uh, there, there has always been this sort of uh, uh, more, uh, I mean, uh, f- fishermen and peasants who have spoken Swedish uh, for centuries. But um, uh, I think. Uh, since uh, um, since the, the sort of um, even the proponents of a Finnish uh, independent Finnish state, uh, many of them were Swedish speakers, and the nation was founded sort of uh, on um, 
I mean, it was written into the constitution that Finland has two languages. So I guess um, I, I, I guess that um, sense of um, I don't think that being an outsider is the sort of is a, um, it doesn't really convey the whole situation because mm. I mean it can it, it can be like that uh, if you're. I mean, most people in Finland never come in contact with uh, with, with the Swedish language, and and, uh, and that might uh, sort of uh, reflect, I, I guess, uh, sort of that uh, Swedish speakers are a bit uh, isolated. And, and, and uh, but on the other hand, um, there is still this sort of strong, I guess, institutional support and the, the the laws that are sort of bilingual and uh, um, that that sort of uh, uh, helps in that sense that, that there is um, uh, that that Swedish is still sort of uh, visible and um, in, in Finnish society in general so, um, yeah it's never quite black and white is it uh, <laughs> these things n- no no, no. Even in Norway, you know, of course, I don't come from an area in Norway where there's like a lot of forest Finns or or Kvens or even like Sami and things like that. But, you know, these are national minorities and except maybe for the Sami, but, you know, the Sami aren't like very visible either. You know, it's, uh, you know, you're aware of their existence, you know, just like, you know, that uh, bears exist or something like that. But you don't, it's not something that you usually see or hear much from. Uh, what was interesting with these linguistic barriers uh, when I was I, I studied uh, uh, Sami religion at the university for a while, mm. and uh, it was coming up with working definitions to like <laughs> separate different groups uh, from each other is kind of interesting. Like for instance, like the it's a point in itself for for many Sami people that they are not Norwegian, for instance, you know, so they kind of reject that term, and then. There's like operational uh, definitions like Scandinavians, like we have Sami peoples and then you have Scandinavians as opposed to that. And then it becomes like a linguistic thing where Scandinavians are Germanic speakers. Mm. Um, But then, of course, like Scandinavian is not just a geographical term either. You know, it has like historical and political connotations and it always feels like when I ask Finns, I love asking Finns if they think... uh, Finland is part of Scandinavia or or not because yeah. it, it, uh, it seems like all of the feels like every Finn has a different opinion about it yeah I would uh, yeah I wouldn't I mean th- this whole um, um, Nordic um, I mean Finland's relation to the other Nordic countries and to Scandinavia as I guess it has changed during the last last uh, several decades because Finland has sort of maybe found a more sort of direct way to the world uh, with the European Union and and um, and uh, maybe uh, when the Soviet Union uh, uh, collapsed, uh, the, the Finland sort of. I guess many Finns feel that they don't need the rest of the Nordic countries in the same way that they were sort of dependent on them uh, before, uh, because they uh, b- before they they had to a lot uh, 
uh, ally themselves with the Nordic countries because they, uh, otherwise they would just be another sort of Eastern satellite state or, or something like that. But to kind of hone in uh, on your more creative projects, uh, it's of course a significant thing here that not only you know are you a, a band that was founded and is uh, you know as I said conceptually based in Finland, but you sing in Swedish because you are a Finland Swede, but you also sing in your local vernacular dialect. Um, what uh, what was like the what led you to that creative uh, decision to do that? And well, yeah, well, I, as you, I guess in in Norway you have, um, of course, many different dialects, and but you also have this. Um, I don't know what you call it there, but in Sweden, for example, they call it svenska, which is a sort of a the official. Uh, although it's not, I don't know. Uh, but w- what do you call it in Norway? The, the whole. Uh, oh, we have. Well, you have two, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, we have, yeah. but th- but they're they're considered written norms. So, yeah. So that uh, so that they you know bookmål is maybe mm. one you see the most of, and it reflects perhaps most closely the Eastern Norwegian dialects and around Oslo. But mm. um, but I I think that it's like uh, maybe in the past there was so it was so that. For radio and TV, you spoke this kind of like normalized kind of like mm. yeah, kind of like a Rick Svenska, but you know, before Norwegian. But now it's almost re- it's almost taboo not to use your local dialect. Um, yeah, well, that's interesting because I I think there's a similar similar de- development in Sweden as well that it's seen as more and more natural that you use your uh, local dialect. But it's not. Uh, I I suspect that that uh, local dialects are more present in Norway that uh, Sweden went a bit <laughs> f- had went a bit further down the other path of sort of standard standardization before the whole thing turned around but in fin with Finland Swedes the situation is completely different because uh, we I, I guess that the official sort of policy uh, has been to um, to really sort of um not stamp out local dialects, of course, uh, but uh, to promote this um, uh, in schools, in Sw- Swedish schools in Finland, promote this Högsvenska, which is a standardized uh, form of not only sort of written, but, but also how you if, you, if you, if you go to work at a Finland Swedish radio station, you can't speak in your local tongue because uh, yeah, I guess the, the rationale behind it is that uh, if we divide if a small minority sort of uh, divides itself uh, in in all these sub minorities that uh, that are sometimes even sort of mutually uh, unintelligible the, the the dialects, then uh, uh, Finland Swedes won't survive as a as a language minority. It, it would would just dissolve into I don't know what. But so for example. You can't, if you go to school, you can't uh, speak in your sort of local vernacular during the, the during class. Uh, you have to wait until the, the break. Uh, so that that has been the sort of main policy. And um, and I am, um, I've sort of grown up in a home where you speak this hög svenska. I, I don't speak in a sort of um, really... Um, um, 
I mean, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't, or I didn't consider uh, myself speaking in a sort of local dialect when I grew up. I thought I had a very sort of neutral, neutral uh, Finland Swedish, uh, uh, but uh, of course um, that varies also. I mean, I, I, I didn't sound like someone who came from Helsinki and or Turku. I there was still sort of a, a clear marked difference. But uh, I I think um, when I started writing in Swedish, I I've, I am I found that this um, very neutral language that was sort of I, I I thought I had the same sort of mindset that I have to be as neutral as, as possible when I when I write in in Swedish or else um, uh, or else uh, it would um, sort of uh, be difficult to make yourself understood in in, in Swedish. I couldn't I I didn't sort of allow myself to use sort of slang words that were only uh, intelligible in or or that only uh, people from Vasa would understand for example so so that was sort of my mindset uh, when I started, but I, I I sort of quickly realized that it I didn't <laughs> I didn't find any sort of joy in that it would it would um and uh, also people were telling me you know, they I, whenever I I sort of <laughs> played anything uh, to people from Vasa for example they they sort of uh, they th- I didn't get any sort of any response it was just it felt sort of dead, so I, I I just decided to try to sort of um, write in this. Um, well, it's um, it's a language. Well, well, it's maybe sort of more more of a. I would call it more of a sort of slang than than a, than a sort of a, a dialect, because uh, where I come from, it's so obvious that people are uh, people who. Um, it's it's distinct from people who who speak sort of proper dialects because you can't can't uh, um, it's uh, it's much further away from this hergsvenska mm-hmm. uh, and um, so I I tried um, I tried writing in this uh, language that I maybe would speak with uh, my f- uh, f- uh, friends from from Vasa and and suddenly it, it felt. It sort of, I don't know. It it just felt um, it it came to life in a in a, in a in an unexpected way. I thought, and um, it sort of generated a lot of ideas um, about topics, and and uh, uh, it was it suddenly became fun to sort of play with words, whereas yeah. Uh, this sort of neutral hög svenska that that, that was um, yeah the, that hadn't that had felt quite sort of sterile in that sense. So um, I just continued with that. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, one of the things that that is also quite significant here, besides the language itself, is of course the lyrical content of Vasa's Flora Fauna. One of the things that you got. Uh, Quite a bit of recognition for it, yes, is uh, you know working with uh, translating uh, the Finnish band Levi and the Leavings into 
into Swedish and performing it like that. And, you know, that introduced me to, to that band, which is mm. apparently like a big household name in Finland that I had no relation to and very good, you know, artful uh, translations too, as far as I can tell. Uh, but yeah, it's like conceptually Vasa plays a big role in, in, you know, in the band's universe uh, in kind of like a social realist way that I found very fascinating. Uh, but maybe even more so that it's like, it's so relatable and it feels like a contemporary chronicle or like, like a contemporary archaeology of Austro-Bosnian culture. And I'm just saying this as somebody who's never even been there, you know, but it feels like in its own ways, it feels like something that I could have seen like growing up in West Norway as well. Some of these things, even though like they have distinct, you know, cultural quirks and so on. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, that was the sort of, um, that was the sort of wager that I thought that, that, that I am, um, um, I, I, I'll, I'll just try to, to, to write it very sort of straightforward and and um, and not not consider that uh, this wouldn't be under uh, the, 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 that people from other places wouldn't understand. I, I uh, it, it was just an experiment in that sense and. Um, and um, and also, I think um, the people from other places may maybe maybe sort of less critical as well uh, than, than, for example, people in in Vasa might. I don't know, but they they might find these um, uh, these um, these lyrics maybe, or they might um, uh, view them as. Um, well, they have an easier time to sort of di- discern any faults in that realism, or, or anything. I, I, I don't know, but but it feels it feels that it's mostly people from 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 other places than Vasa that, that have uh, have said that it feels it feel uh, I I can recognize myself in in that people from Vasa don't recognize themselves in the lyrics in the same way. I think uh, that that has been my feeling. Yeah, that's that's, that's strange. But of course, you don't get uh, I don't know, like uh, you don't become a prophet in your own country. Maybe I don't know. Have you have you feel that it's well received in in Vasa and Ostrobothnia? That yeah, well, I mean, we I I live in 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 Stockholm now and and uh, so I I don't know, but I. We, I get. I think Stockholm and Sweden is so much bigger. I mean, than than, than um, the Swedish-speaking population of Vasa, for example. So it's hard to sort of compare the, the sort of reception in in that sense. That I, but uh, I'm a bit. Um, I'm still a bit. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not certain whether it really. It it really sort of works in in in, in Vasa, and I, I I haven't. I mean, we have we have played for uh, several years, but I still don't have a sort of clear view whether we we are that whether people in Vasa l- like us or not. I, I don't know. 
pretty funny. I, I, that's also a little bit recognizable here with uh, with this podcast because I think yeah, people say all the time that uh, the brood nurse is extremely like localized in kind of Norwegian and maybe especially like a Western Norwegian experience when I kind of when I go on a limb and talk about kind of off topic stuff. Uh, but I also feel like maybe that's West Norway is probably where I have the least listeners <laughs> mm, <laughs> out mm. of like all of this. There are more Swedes listening to Brute Norse than there are Norwegians for sure. Not just because mm, there are more mm. Swedish people in general, I think, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, that's funny. But when I listen to like, say, uh, your song Honda monkey, for instance, you know, uh, nobody in my area was driving Honda monkeys, but they were driving other kinds of mopeds, you know, they weren't drinking, kill you which we can probably explain afterwards what is uh, but yeah. people are drinking moonshine which is like uh, what kill you is uh, the end product of kill you and yeah you drink yeah. it up too <laughs> early yeah did you drink a lot of kill you in your youth no that, that i mean that's the thing uh, uh, that, that song is sort of a more of a um, sort of um afterthought that uh, that uh because uh, I didn't drive a moped at all. I, I was more of a sort of, um, I looked at, uh, at all those things that, uh, um, like, I mean, for example, Honda Monkey, I, I recently found, uh, found this out that it, it's really not something you would drive in the countryside and uh, that it's more of a sort of a, uh, for, for a sort of, a, inner city people who like like to be maybe think they are cooler than than uh, other people but i wasn't aware of all that when i grew up i i um and i didn't drink kill you because i was that i i, I saw that as something that that people from uh, from outside of vasa did and i i sort of looked down on on that but in in the sort of later life or kind of a, it's kind of embarrassing that that I um I had so much um that we tried to uh, sort of looking back on it I I tried to sort of distance myself from from I I wanted to be a, a sort of I wanted to be urban and um I wanted to live in a big city maybe and i didn't really consider uh, those i i, I mean yeah, people who were sort of uh, repairing mopeds were um, that was not my thing but back then i didn't sort of appreciate it back then and i guess this song is a sort of a um, sort of recognition of the fact that they were they were there were a lot to it and uh, yeah uh, it talks a lot about like local kind of uh kind of social expectations i feel like that song like if you if you come from uh from a certain district where they, they are like moped uh, moped driving uh, moonshine drinking uh, people like there's kind of this cultural expectation that to fit in you have to uh, be part of this you have to go to the village dance and uh, i didn't i didn't really like i wasn't one of those like uh, motor <laughs> motor kids growing up either i was you know into into music and 
just being yeah. an anemic and angry, I think. But uh... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, uh, yeah, of course. But but we we this there was still room for, I guess, uh, not being part of that as well. I felt that that um, there was a clear sort of division, or maybe it was a bit sort of. Um, I don't know, for example, in Högstadiet, I don't know if, yeah, I guess you have the same system in Norway that from when you are, I don't know, 13 to 16, you go in Högstadiet uh, mm. uh, before gymnasium. Uh, there, there were people from uh, from uh, Inner Vas, and then there were people like me who were from sort of a... Um, suburb and then people from the, the countryside and it was quite sort of a clear-cut um, um, sort of a um, division between people from sort of close uh, from Vasa and close to Vasa and those who came from the countryside and, and uh, yeah I look back at that it was a quite sort of strange time when we were it almost felt um, yeah, I guess it was in some ways sort of. Uh, I guess the situation is a bit different now that 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 uh, the, I mean the city. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe, but um, yeah, I think the division was quite clear. You, you, if you came from the countryside, you were expected to dress in a certain way and be. Uh, a man in a certain way uh, and uh, sort of a and we were quite sort of opposed to all that and we thought they they were sort of old-fashioned and uh, interesting very recognizable uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Atti attitude i think you know uh these perspectives that you only develop uh, as they metabolize over time you know and, mm. yeah. yeah i mean there was a, it was a sort of very distinct uh, culture i think they for example the the i get, i guess this was a, what, what the boys did but when they when they came to school they went down to the slade sala i don't know what that is it's in english where you do this hand, handicraft so uh, yeah, wood in school. shop uh, i guess yeah, called, yeah yeah and they they um they borrowed these uh, wooden um, shoes i don't know so so they were, so they had those during the, uh, the school 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 time and uh, that was their sort of culture that you walked around in those kind of shoes inside <laughs> walking around and, in clogs yeah clogs, clogs, that's as a, a, as a, <laughs> um, wow that's and um, you also used um, snooze for example that, that that's a um that i mean everybody does that nowadays but it was this um, yeah, this um, you you don't use that in Norway. Maybe it's a Swedish thing, or maybe you use that. No, in Norway no, well, yeah, right? definitely in my. I don't know how common it is anymore because I'm out of touch and I live abroad. <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, but definitely when I was like 14, 15, yeah, all the all the all the boys were doing snooze. I didn't I yeah. didn't do snooze, but I tried once during the, on the school bus. Yeah, this was you know. Yeah. Uh, at that point, we still had those shitty old school buses from the post-war period, and uh, yeah, and I vomited all over two rows yeah. of seats. And yeah, it's strong, strong yeah. stuff. But but yeah, they, they that and that was the sort of old 
uh, nowadays they, it, it comes in sort of small bags, but that wasn't that was seen as maybe a bit sort of feminine to use those. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, so you had to make your own, roll your own sort of snooze balls, and and uh, um, yeah, and um, um, yeah, I look at that all that sort of differently now. I think uh, that I I can't sort of. <laughs> It's difficult to imagine that 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 you were so um, that there was a, so so the, the the division was so clear. I think uh, all, yeah, yeah. It's funny to uh, to hear this. I I know that many people uh, many people who grew up in different parts of Scandinavia don't like they kind of escape to the bigger cities and they really struggle to come to terms with um, the place that they grew up. Yeah many friends who are like that who just kind of left their town behind and never looked back and maybe even like look back at their hometown kind of resentfully you know and, yeah and you know all like a lot of these elements are like even if i didn't always participate in these uh, myself i think i can like look back and be kind of appreciative of it like, yeah I don't know, my yeah. hometown was very violent for instance in mid-2000s which is like now i just kind of look back at that and kind of you know laugh uh, at it but you know it wasn't yeah, fun living yeah. living there then you know no no i i, I agree and uh, i mean parts of it i i sort of uh, <laughs> i am um, i would oppose today as well but 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 the, i don't like the fact that i treated it with such a sort of disinterest it's more of that. I, I mean i when you look at it now it's more more like I feel more sort of curious how how things work and why 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 um uh, why those differences exist and uh, uh. another like observation that I could probably make about the music is I guess the lyrical content uh, isn't really attainable to non-Scandinavian speakers unless you're German because you have a an yeah, album of, yeah. <laughs> of, of, of songs translated into German, which I think is uh, amazing. So maybe German-speaking listeners will be able to enjoy. Yeah, I yeah. think that it's like there's... Uh, I think, well, the, the lyrics are often very subtle, you know, uh, in terms of like how they treat, say, you know, some of them treat growing up, uh, being young in these districts and, and, and kind of like local uh, vernacular culture. Uh, and even like juvenile delinquency sort of stuff. But it's like, it's very, this is not something I think you would necessarily pick up just listening to the music without being able to to read the lyrics. And I think that that's also like that contrast is what makes it interesting that it's, it's this very uh, thoughtful kind of pop music uh, that deals with uh, topics that aren't unusual, but maybe like they're handled in a, in a, they're not maybe handled in that medium very often, you know, and at least not with that kind of, honesty mm. yeah well we have a kind of um i mean i, I think it was the others in the band that that uh, that has this uh, they they came up with this um uh, i don't know not a slogan but it's it's more of an idea a concept that we that we should always try to sort of be in um the sort of be mid life that we should be in a, um 
we, we should never try to sort of distance ourselves from, from sort of everyday life and uh, always uh, we we always talk amongst ourselves about uh, sort of various everyday challenges that we uh, experience and the, how, how the um, and Daniel is building a, a house in, in a village outside of us and we sort of try to make that part of the whole um, I mean the music should be part of our, our everyday li- life and, and vice versa so, so it's uh, I mean I think it's it's quite. Um, I mean, it's part of a the the the, the sort of the, the agenda that we have. We we want to treat uh, sort of everyday life with sort of some sort of respect. Um, I think that uh, yeah, I think that's good and important, and also yeah. Um, here with Brute Norse, of course, I also. Uh, my secret agenda with this thing, this term that I've you know come up with and that I've gotten stuck with, this Scandi futurism, as I say, is uh, all about really just uh, uh, appreciating small cultural quirks that mm. we take for granted, you know. And it's like, yeah, go to the countryside and you like say you 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 talk to like yeah, just just a regular like working guy uh, who hunts or something, and he eats like dried moose or some stuff like Mm. that, like Mm. for supper. And he doesn't even think twice about this. You know, he's has no conscious relationship about that. This is like part of his culture or something like that. Nice to remind ourselves that this is, you know, is a completely nice and honest thing that is maybe completely idiosyncratic to its context that kind of deserves to be treated with respect, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be like that extreme of an example. It can be, I don't know, the way you drink coffee in, yeah. in Finland yeah. or something, you know, it's like... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... Um, I, I think it's part... Uh, maybe it can also be seen as a sort of reaction to the sort of a... That, to the sort of a... I guess the, the the modern process of every everything becoming the same everywhere around the globe and and uh, we, um, and uh, that all these tech platforms are uh, taking over and shaping life in a certain direction uh, for 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 people everywhere and and you sort of just I I for for me I think that that might be part of the why. Those things are becoming more and more have become more important for me to sort of recognize and, and um, because they have, have yeah I guess they um, they are not only sort of slower in the sense that they change more slowly than 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 a lot of things going on around you but but also the it, yeah, it, 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 it almost is strange, but because it's not, it's not um, these um, these thing these things that I'm sort of thinking about. They are not sort of a radical in any way in themselves, but but they, in a sort of modern context, they f- they feel quite uh, radical. It feels sort of radical talking about different ways of. Drinking coffee in, in, yeah, or the way that your grandmother drank coffee in the in when she lived in 
pedasörein hos robotnia. Mm-hmm. It feels strangely sådär. Uh, I don't know what the correct term, but sort of not subversive, but yeah. No, but I get, I get what yeah. you mean, though, because it's like t- today it's uh, it's so easy to just have things done the simple way, and you can everything mm. can be bought and sold and things like that. But you cannot like by setting aside uh, time to like make you know make coffee that you would boil in these pots. I don't even know what mm. they would call that in English, but you you just pour it literally in the cup in the in the pot, and then you boil it up and. To even yeah, to yeah. even not get co- coffee grounds in your cup, you have to do this little like dance with it to yeah, lift yeah. the lift the ke- kettle, and you know that's that's not something that is transferable, you know, in like kind of a capitalistic, you know, kind no. of way. So I agree that there is something like kind of subversive and and r- radical. Yeah, and as the same. At the same time, it's also one has to be sort of wary about the fact that it, it can be uh, sort of a re, can quite quickly be become sort of repackaged and sold as some, um, for example, some uh, yeah, uh, what was it called? Um, sort of a life, lifestyle coffee table book about. Uh, I mean these. Um, I mean I, I'm I'm not. Um, yeah 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 for the uh, sort of lifestyle book for those sort of middle classes who want to sort of uh, um, do something during the weekends in a more old-fashioned way or, or something like that. I'm not I'm not into that part of it either. That that that, uh, that whole sort of. Uh, uh, cocooning lifestyle thing where, with um, slow things in an old-fashioned way uh, as a sort of contrast to to what you normally do d- during uh, daytime you have a maybe you have a, have a sort of stressful job and you sort of a, hmm. can uh, balance that with doing things like in in the old days and uh, uh, but um, on the other hand, uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, it's uh, it's also important to sort of um, um, recognize the sort of uh, effort that has been made to sort of save save time and effort in the past as well. Uh, uh, um, with all these, uh, I mean, we sh- I, I don't think they should be rom- romanticized in the, that way or. or uh, or sort of exoticized uh, as uh, being more sort of true and uh, mm-hmm. I mean for example this um, <laughs> I mean coffee was hard to come by especially during wartime uh, so where they used this chicory thing to replace coffee with uh, and that was sad I guess uh, <laughs> To to ha- have to drink that instead, but of course it can be sold nowadays as a more sort of healthy option. Uh, uh, but for me, the interesting part is uh, is just to. I mean, it's not the. I wouldn't sort of, I wouldn't drink that just to, uh, sort of, uh, because I think coffee tastes 
real coffee tastes better, but it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's I, I just think it's, I'm drawn to that. Um, uh, I'm still sort of drawn to that um, story and the, the, those mechanisms that we have to uh, replace something that's hard to come by in global market with some. We, we, are, we, are, we are so addicted to, to this uh, substance that we have to find a sort of, <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like I'm always at risk, you know, because especially when like, uh, you know, when, when we work creatively and we have like kind of maybe a kind of a branding or kind of a style, a stylized kind of strategies for bringing you know your stuff out there or something i feel i'm always at risk of adding to the commodification of yeah. the subject matter yeah. you know so it's uh, and maybe i am because you know maybe it's, it's i think there's a a friend of mine had a, had a really excellent <laughs> excellent coinage here he said uh, he was talking about the um, the Scandinavian concept industrial complex where it's like mm-hmm. you can you can um, you can purchase kind of like a Scandinavian experience yeah. of things or you can purchase uh, you can create hygge you know you can get a blanket yeah. and 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 light some candles and create yeah create the tm time you know yeah it's quite repulsive that whole, whole <laughs> thing but, but yeah um Mm. Yeah, but uh, I, I guess it, it just um, goes to show that, that that it's. I mean, it's it's uh, it's difficult to sort of uh, find. Um, I mean, that that, that sort of capital is good uh, has has a way of finding uh, or, or producing commodities of every human experience there is. Um, it's, uh, it's. I mean, it is hard to talk, speak in English. I, I, I always think that I'm, I'm. <laughs> since I, I read a lot of English, I think, well, I could, I could say that, but <laughs> in reality, I can't. So, so or, or if I listen to, a, uh, I listen to a lot of English-speaking podcasts. I think that, uh, well, yeah, that's super clear. I can, I, I understand everything, but, but okay. uh, when I, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's a common uh, common Scandinavian delusion, but I think that you you're much better than most. <laughs> you're way well, above thanks. the average, I think. <laughs> uh, I, I work as a translator as my day job, and uh, like I'm going back to Norway for Christmas for the first time in five years. Uh, so, mm. and uh, I you know you look at the the health guidelines uh, uh, for COVID and things like that, and I. I'm reading it in English for my wife and I see like, it's very clear that whoever translated this, you know, for a government website is just like either, either a complete like freelancer with no experience or, or somebody in the office who's like, yeah, I know English. I can do yeah. this. You know? yeah. so. Well, we have, I mean, I, I'm always a bit sort of irritated by all the old Swedes who think they, they sing in English uh, and they write these lyrics that they think sound super interesting and sophisticated, but it's, it's really, it's, 
most of the time it's really awful and i i sort of appreciate the sort of finnish approach to 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 it better because finnish people they generally know that they are not that good in english so (laughs) so they may they usually sing in finnish i guess or they make this weird this weird instrumental music instead so they avoid the whole whole problem um but yeah, the Swedes really do have this uh, grandiose uh, self-image uh, when it comes to English. That they, well, it feels like Sweden just uh, has a very like uh, a big desire to be kind of a cosmopolitan uh, yeah. culture. Yeah, absolutely. They... I think that goes very far back in time. Like. Yeah, Even like the megalogothicists and things like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, they they want to be sort of a. I mean, Swedish sort of uh, mainstream ideology has always been. They they like to be modern, and and that has. I mean, I'm I'm on that team. I guess I I, I also like to be extremely modern in every way but it is is it's also yeah i am i guess you have to recognize when you aren't modern as well i i uh, and and uh, sometimes i feel that in sweden they tend to sort of uh, maybe um, not recognize progress made elsewhere and and um and uh, maybe exaggerate progress made at home. Uh, and, uh, also, yeah. yeah, I feel like in in some ways, uh, well, not obviously not on a national level, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, for me, I think it's always kind of been the opposite. I've always been surrounded by people who do not want to be modern, <laughs> and yeah. who is just who are just like extremely or like downright like anti-modern. And I, I've always thought that that was very uh, very anal, you know, because mm. you have to recognize that uh, that we are living in the times that we are living in. You know, uh, doesn't necessarily infer like any uh, value judgment or anything like that. But uh, you have to be kind of realistic, and also like if you if you're setting yourself up to not appreciate uh, the context that you're living in, you're you know <laughs> you're not setting yourself up for a happy life and and no. for success. I think you know. It's kind of kind of also ties in with like, as we were talking about like with the like selling of kind of concepts and uh, and that sort of thing. You know how you have this uh, uh, idyllic uh, like idealization of like a rural, unmodern lifestyle and things like that. That is always it's always the same tropes being rehashed, right? It's always yeah, baking and. Uh, and lit candles and <laughs> yeah. and uh, wheat fields and uh, yeah and it's uh, yeah it's kind of yeah. it's kind of perverse you know <laughs> yeah yeah i think so too yeah um yeah it's um i'm much more interested in how to sort of find a find a sort of i mean i i don't know i i am um For me, it's um, it's um, in, in, 
yeah, I don't know. I didn't what I was going to say. It's sad that I sat at this window because I, I, I don't know if you can see those um, lights that I have in the second window. They are um, in the shape of a... Uh, first, it's a cross, uh, and then it's a... Uh, it's an anchor and then a heart, and it's 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 actually from um, Jakobstad, which is a city in Ostrobotnia. They they are the only place in this. I mean, they they use this this these symbols. Uh, it symbolizes, uh, I guess, faith, hope, and love. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. And they they use this uh, as sort of Christmas decorations. And they, they, there's only one guy who makes these lights, and he sells them for a couple of days every year. In a sh- in a shop in, in Jakobsa, you can't buy them online, uh, and it, and it's a, I, I don't know where the tradition comes from. But I guess it has something to do with Jakobsa. Uh, they are sort of seafaring town, and it, it, it's that kind of uh, those kind of symbols. But I I can sort of easily see myself uh, because they, they are sort of handmade, but and quite expensive. So you can you could mass produce those in. China, I guess, and sell them to <laughs> you. You have to. I think you'd have to come up with a proper sort of a marketing campaign, and then you can really you could sell those at IKEA for a fraction of the price. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can become you... a become a millionaire. This is yeah. Yeah, it's uh, this is a a great um, uh, marketing idea. A good business pitch for any evil listeners out there who want to. Yeah, the, you you have the potential to sort of ruin it, uh, ruin the whole tradition for the people in Jakobstad because they see it as a sort of identifier. Uh, they, 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 it's part of their. Uh, um, that's the way. Uh, that's the way you sort of uh, decorate. You have that, and that that's the way you do it in Jakobstad. Uh, and you also, um, I mean, but 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 uh, I think there is money to be made if you want to, to mass produce because they are really expensive. And it's, uh, it's, yeah. Somebody already did it with these, I guess. I gotta, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you'll go there. I cannot bring myself to like. I I just uh, just love these little things, but uh, I don't know. They're not a. They're definitely not a local tradition to my area. It's become just kind of a. I don't know if they do it in Denmark, but on the like, it's like a pan Scandinavian yeah. <laughs> Christmas decoration. Yeah, we have the, those, the, the, uh, the, the Yule goats. Uh, little... Yeah, I wonder who came up with the, the, that particular design because it, it, it has seemed it seems to be the design that won that that maybe in. Uh, I, I mean, my suspicion is that there were several competing designs, and that that one just <laughs> caught on, and uh, yeah. Yeah, there's something suspicious about it. I, I can't quite. I'm sure that there, are, you know, there are many like straw-based uh, crafts and things like that. And you know, the, the kind of goat motif goes very far back with uh, mm. Scandinavian Yule. But um, I feel like this is not something you would quite find tucked away in a peasant loft uh, that's been hidden for hundreds of years. No, <laughs> no, no. It feels like something that somebody cooked up. Uh, uh, yeah yeah i guess yeah uh, cheap decoration i guess the this uh, i would suspect that the, these uh, through ochalic um faith uh, hope and love decorations aren't that 
old either. But it, it was it was probably that guy who's still a uh, make <laughs> came up with. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Do you have any? Would you make a sort of educated guess on what, 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 why that has? Uh, do do you recognize those symbols? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I feel uh, I always associated that with sailors. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like, uh, I think yeah. My dad, I don't know uh, why he got this idea, but I think my father uh, created like uh, a heraldic uh, shield for himself, <laughs> for, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but just like as a like a like, insignia or something that he's never used. But I think he. He got an illustrator to make something, and I've maybe he's shown it to me twice in my entire life or something. I don't think it's just some idea that he cooked up, and I think that he has incorporated those symbols in his kind of crest. Mm. You know, it's uh, yeah. I don't know why he even felt the need to uh, to create like a well, it's not even a family I, I, crest, I, it's a personal I, crest. <laughs> but I can yeah, I can understand like the the value of having the urge, your own little uh, yeah. thing. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah, I've, um, I, um, I, I can. I'm already, as we speak, planning my own, an emblazonment or whatever it's called, <laughs> uh, the, the heraldic. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can recognize them, sort of. Uh, because you want to be. I mean, why, why would, why would that be, a sort of privilege of, of the nobility why that that should be sort of de- democratized you know, the, the, the 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 heraldic shields anybody should be able to uh, yeah you can make yourself a little like uh what's the uh like uh like the they used to have they used to like have a little symbol that you would like carve out you know and into things i think they call them yeah. marks in english but i think it's a dumb term because it's not necessarily just like to, as a production signature you know yeah you, you, into you the ch- church door where, where do you where do you carve it uh is it is it uh, your stuff house you own? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 or mm. like you could have uh, often on church doors people carve them in, mm. you know that sort of stuff and you look kind of cool. Look kind of runic sometimes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you see like a medieval church door, they're always full of them because people have been carving like graffiti all over mm. the place, you know. So. No, I kind of like that. I like that kind of uh, that um, I don't know ritualized uh, expression, kind of. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess the modern equivalent is sort of a, a sort of scratch. This, uh, a bus window with your key or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I'm. Um, I think. Yeah, I think uh, graffiti and marginalia. I always say that that is a great. Uh, as more people should do it because it's always. I don't think uh, there's an archaeologist on the planet who hasn't been happy to find an inscription or like a crude mm. drawing somewhere. And then we should. I even leave it like uh, people people get angry when I say it, but I even, even my books, I always write in the margins and things like mm. that. And even in library books, I do it. Vandalizing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, there's, um, mm. 
I think it's just important to leave like uh, traces for uh, for later people, whether you're writing music about uh, driving Volvos and listening to Levy and the Levings or, <laughs> or yeah, leaving peanut shells uh, everywhere so that some asshole in the future can see here a guy was eating nuts on the spot yeah. 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I, I also work at, at this place called Biskops Arne. Uh, in, in, um, it's, it's a bit to the north of, of Stockholm. It's an island in, in Mälaren. Uh, and um, that place has... I mean, uh, it was originally built as a sort of retreat for the, the, the archbishop. He needed some place where he could receive uh, important guests. Uh, but uh, the buildings uh, have... Uh, it, it has served multiple purpose, purposes during the centuries. But, but um, during the 19th century, there was this um, guy there who had, had this particular... Uh, hobby of uh, he, I guess you've heard about this this uh, practice but he sort of uh, manufactured these uh, for example rune stones and, and uh, diff- various types of of uh, what do you call it food and lemoning yeah yeah like uh, art of ancient like artifacts uh, yeah he, he uh, sort of monuments. he thought that they were sort of sorely missing uh, that they sort of uh, the whole place would be much more interesting if he left left uh, sort of a uh, fake stuff there but now these uh, these fake i mean they 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 are undoubtedly interesting now because they are themselves quite old now so uh, yeah um, really fascinating I, I yeah my old uh, like uh, uh, renology professor uh, just uh, crystal silmer um, she uh, I, I asked her once and it turns out that uh, they like in Norway for instance they keep an archive of uh, of contemporary runic inscriptions too, because they have to keep try to keep track of like what's yeah, real and what's yeah. not, right? You know, so they there's actually like a registry of of modern runic inscriptions and fake but what, stones. Where and... there a sort of surely that practice must have had its peak by now, or are are people still sort of carving? Uh, um... I don't know. <laughs> that's a good that's a good good question. I mean, there are like modern uh, like rune carvers. For sure, there are people who do that, and they do it on commission, and they usually do it for like music, like open air museums and things like that. But yeah, I mean, like uh, I don't necessarily like the idea of like carving like elder futhark inscriptions that uh, can be mistaken for something else out in the wild. But I don't know, like if you want to carve a an obviously new runestone, you can even make your own runic alphabet probably, and just <laughs> device new. But it would I I. I guess it would be quite hard to to make a, a a stone that somebody would, or at least some professional would mistake for a really old one. Yeah, or, usually, or, I quite don't know. But... Easy to uh, to spot because uh, yeah. actual rune stones are often very difficult to difficult to read and very eroded and you know they're yeah. they're irregular and things like that. You know, while modern modern carvers who are used to 
literacy and uh, Latin alphabets and things like that, they they carve things completely differently, you know. So, yeah. And they often don't know the uh, ling- they don't know the language uh, in question good enough to to fake it either. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there, um, I mean, I guess there have ha- have been some sort of controversies or uh, uh, rune stones that were thought to be old that uh, I can't remember it was uh, maybe you, you know more about that. Uh, I, uh, there was something there was remember. one runestone a very famous example called I think it's called the Haga inscription or something like that was uh, carved on a mountainside or something uh, and somebody discovered it because they removed some moss and then there was just runes in the mountain mm. um, and uh, there was no reason to assume that this was um, was fake, um, and even uh, I think the university sent scholars, and uh, they even ventured, you know, uh, with a like a a hypothesis uh, based on kind of like uh, religious, uh, you know, mythological criteria or something like that. Uh, to, you know, made, made an attempt at an interpretation along those lines, but. Um, and, then it turned out that um, uh, somebody actually came forward and said that uh, they had carved it uh, with uh, with a friend who was now uh, unfortunately dead <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, when they were children. So over 20 years back or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there are probably like cases like that here and there. Like they had learned yeah. about runes at school and they carved out, I think it was the surname of the friend. He carved it into the... Mm into the mountainside and then they forgot about it, never thought about it again. And uh, the moss came and then gave the impression of being a, an old inscription, which it wasn't. So. Yeah. But you know, do you normally, what, what do you normally talk about? Uh, what, what, what um, on the podcast, what, what is the sort of. can be different things. Uh, I did, a, I recently did a, an episode about uh, uh, an Icelandic uh, like early saga translator from the 1600s called Tormod Torfeus, uh, who uh, he didn't he was didn't quite fit in with the Danish courts and uh, uh, he uh, slept around with all of the the women in the court and uh, eventually ended up murdering somebody in a tavern and things like that and. He ended up moving to my home island uh, at Carmen mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I, I have one episode where I talk about his life. I have the episode where I, that I linked to yesterday where I just like talk about like where does this idea of Norway come from and what was the consequence of that? You know, who was the who was the guy who first thought it was a, an idea that uh, this region should be one country? Because um, that's just originally some probably some fantasy that some warlord had in you know before the viking age that caught on and spiraled yeah into, spiraled into modern social democracy somehow uh completely unintended originally probably um so I yeah i guess just stuff like that i had a um very interesting episode it was stain farstavall who's an archaeologist up in northern norway who works with uh, what he calls unruly heritage so it's more contemporary stuff. Like he looks at stuff left from the war or, um, or like this, his, he works with this concept, you know, that heritage isn't just something that we pick and choose, you know, it's something that just 
is there you know we curate from it what we want to tell you know mm. but uh but he says that you know heritage is also about the things that like that we don't we, we never got to choose you know uh too mm. um, so we talk about that and and kind of like uh i don't know historicism and kind of uh, this kind of reflexive relationship between past and present because you know that kind of screws up with like because we tend to think of time as like just linear mm. which you know maybe maybe it is but conceptually how we think about the past is always changing so the mm. it's almost like circular in that regard so we talked about stuff like that and uh, most of the time i'm just talking about uh, trying to figure figure out what uh, like just uh, you know establishing my own identity and also just like coming to terms with uh, not being able to uh, to get a job in academia and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and just being kind of like a like an ac- I don't know like not academic outsider because I'm I'm a very like in in my perspectives on the sources and things like that I'm very traditional academic but uh, but I think that I have more like a I don't know a punk DIY attitude to it and since mm-hmm. I also worked at museums a lot I think that uh, I take very seriously kind of thinking outside of the box kind of with educational concepts and creating kind of engagements and I don't know, maybe uh, producing, uh, I don't know. uh, I'm also like uh, for a person who knows uh, a lot about like Vikings and Norse mythology and things like that. uh, I'm just not a person who likes Viking pop culture so much. Mm. I think it's kitschy and, bad taste but yeah. i'm fascinated by like the reception of it and the cultural impact and so i don't know if you listen to like moondog for instance the... yeah I, yeah i know i i know him i have listened to some of his stuff yeah you know his uh, student um he had a he had a, a protege called uh, stefan lakatos who lives in uh, stockholm who performs mm-hmm. almost like a Moondog impersonator. I think he's basically like the tradition bearer of like Moondog's instrumentation. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I didn't go to that uh, the, when he played here the last time, but I, I saw, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's stuff I usually talk about, talk about, talked about. Moondog I, uh, I, I came to think about, I have a colleague in, on Biscop Sada who is, um, well, he's just, when when you talk about this this sort of punk DIY attitude towards um, well um, subjects that would normally sort of require a more traditional I don't know approach, uh, I came to think about this colleague who uh, who's um, I mean I guess he's he's all he's always right, right now he's sort of actually inside academia but he's. Mm. Most of the time, he's spent sort of outside of academia, but he's he has specialized in um, sort of um, the way people wrote. What what kind of um, I mean, the medieval writing practices, right? like what what, what what was the ink made out of the paper and the, the, mm. the pens and, and stuff like that. So he knows uh, in, in a sort of um, Nordic context, uh, interesting. And, yeah. But he's so he, he's um, he's also very sort of knowledgeable in our, our, uh, other parts uh, when it comes to Nordic history and Swe- Swedish history in particular. 
it's um yeah i i did actually um (laughs) there's been a uh like i touch upon like kind of the swedish uh subjects in the in the episode with tor uh torfeus and uh, and about like this idea of swedish atlantis and this Mm, absolutely nutty nutty stuff uh but um yeah i i think i also like try to explore kind of like under like underexplored kind of like sometimes kind of these kind of uh more or less insane uh apocryphal and even like countercultural or occultural themes uh as well kind of critically and like kind of humorously this is a good swedish podcast called dolda fakta which which does mm-hmm. that too but um but there's a uh, there's a lot of surrealism in in, in my work yeah, I, I try to uh yeah create a sense of a chronological confusion also in the listener and try to like and, mm. yeah well i, I if you, if we want to uh, i can sort of um because I, uh, of course the film the swedish speaking parts of finland are somewhat sort of remote and maybe not that well known in sweden and the rest of i often you know talk about like old norse and things like that but i always felt like there's i, I always hate when uh people in scandinavia or something like i say norwegians are like yeah, shit talking about sami or, or something mm. or swedes are talking negative about Finns. i i think that's the least charming yeah, <laughs> aspect yeah. of the culture so I always try to be like, yeah, I should talk more about not just like my own little valley of, yeah. Uh, but I think that this, as I said before, like this uh, is something that probably came also as a result of me moving out. Of yeah. Way, you know, so as, <laughs> I know it's me trying to resist Americanization, maybe. Yeah, well, I, I, I guess the same could be said about Vasfrofano as well, that, uh, that it, it was no... Uh, coincidence that, uh, that it was founded only after m- me and Iris, who was a co- co-founder, had moved from Ostrobotnia. That we sort of uh, only then did we feel, I guess, that these things would be sort of interesting. Or, or, or only then did we perhaps see them uh, or did, did recognize them as things uh, to, yeah worthy of attention, I guess. Jag gräver fram en kassett med uppsprätta chokola. Innan svängt i Ollis, kokonda morsans Renault. Men kan inte lämna oss då. Och vad ska man göra där? Jag vet ju någon skit som går på SVT 2. Vem ska välkomna dit och kanske inse förstå Att det är tolv år sedan det fanns någonting helst på Hemma igen, hemma igen Se 
vet vad då på en typ som man borde älska och hata Men han var nog en vän, nu var han en En tung försvarsbjäs i idrottsföreningen kamraterna Jag ska säga som en, jag tog allt av han Jag fick skate med hans brorsa ibland I'm sure many of us have been to our hometown, encountering people we used to know and whom we have some kind of love-hate relationship with. Bump into that one guy who used to be a skinhead, and you got that hometown watering hole you drop into, have a few beers, skid around the ice, and you can't help but look about and uh, wonder, well, what's here anymore? What's, what's left since I was here last time? Well, this song was all about that. Hanvano Genven by Vasas Flora och Fauna. Um, the first song we heard at the beginning of the podcast was Honda Monkey, a sort of Austro-Bothnian coming-of-age tale that uh, sounds like it could have been composed basically anywhere in rural Finland, Scandinavia, and I'm sure many other parts of the world as well. Now, a lot has happened since I've released the last episode of the podcast. And as I warned you then, there isn't a lot of recording going on, because I just don't have the time for it. I'm not going to overexert myself to release um, 2.5 deep dives a year or something like that. I decided to make a change of direction, and it has proven to be a really good choice, actually. I'm not releasing as many episodes as I wish, but then again, I didn't do that when I was spending full work weeks on audio essays either, working at what I can only assume is my full potential. In 2022, I have, however, released two physical publications, much thanks to your support, and it seems to be working in ways that podcasting simply never did. 
I'm doing collaborations. I sold out a talk in Oslo recently where I also sold out all of the books that I managed to bring. And yeah, one of the freshest things I have out right now is The Fool's Mirror. It's a sort of Scandi Futures lifestyle magazine that is sort of an extension of what I'm doing right here, but in a format that somebody might actually remember two years from now. It's available through me directly, but also Marks and Spencer, Amazon.com, and a wide range of other bookshops. Uh, if you want to corrupt your hometown, you can probably order it for your local library or something like that. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not just my stuff in there. There's, uh, I mean, it's, it is the first issue, so it's kind of a proof of concept. And I tried to pitch it to a bunch of people who do stuff like New Nordic Cuisine. And you would think that they get it immediately, but people, uh, people don't. You know, they have to be exposed to this material before they kind of get it. And many of them kind of do. So the first issue is a proof of concept and people have been responding to it pretty well. So I'm sure that the next uh, issue will have some text that uh, isn't so much by me. I get some great artistic contributions and um, yeah, a lot of stuff from the community. You know, the Scandi Futures Power Walking Club, the patrons. Now, people like myself don't make a lot through Amazon, but if it works for you, I encourage you to take advantage of the free shipping if that's what otherwise is barring you from ordering. Um, the most important thing for me is that it's getting out there. So if you get two copies from Amazon or free shipping or something like that through Prime uh, and give one copy to a friend, I think that that's worth a hell of a lot more to me than uh, those, I don't know, two extra dollars in the bank. This is also where I would usually shill for the Patreon, but I don't know, like I'm not releasing that many uh, podcast episodes. Uh, the Patreon at this point is mostly for people who want to join the Discord channel and uh, want to receive uh, a podcast once in a blue moon that is released a little bit early, or they want uh, discounts on merch, or you want uh, uh, a free PDF of the magazine in a kind of a degraded format, but still, you know, you get to read it usually before anything is, uh, is printed. With that uh, being said, there's nothing more to say, but uh, thank you for listening, and uh, catch you on the flip. You've been listening to the Brute Norse Podcast, where we walk backwards into the future, and uh, hey, look, sal, sal, look, hail.